The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related materials and presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm Vanessa. And this is episode number 255. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, money, money, money. We're going to talk about wealth, uh, economy, you know, the fun stuff that everybody wants to talk about. Because I'm taking accounting classes, so fuck you all. No, I'm not, actually, but it's it's all relative. I've already had mine. That's the fun part of, uh, of RPGs that you didn't know you were missing out on. So fun, in fact, that we're not going to do that. But we will talk about tertiary-related constructs, I think, because they've come up a little bit lately. Speaking of which, it's kind of cool to get this particular group together. This is our second podcast of the day together. <laughs> yes. Yay! And we did a little Expo Street earlier, which was nice. It's nice getting back in the group of that because it hasn't been a regular thing for a while. And uh, we've gotten a couple episodes now out in the last few weeks. Yeah. I'm just glad they let me in the room. Right? I, I think <laughs> the last episode was a global success. Global. <clears throat> mm-hmm. More that, so than the film we reviewed. That one's not up yet, of course. Uh, well, it might be. By the, I mean, whenever you're listening, obviously, it might be. But uh, that was uh, an interesting episode. For your edification, it is episode number 28 of Exposition Street. So in case you're interested in what that is and you go back and look later, there you go. Enjoy. We certainly did. <laughs> Spoilers, well, the range of, of votes went from five to one star. Yeah, it was uh, definitely 1. a, 5. it was a nail biter. It was, uh, did you say 1.5? Oh, no, you said one. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we had, we had a one star, we had a five star, and we had stuff in between. That's the best way to put it, I guess. Anyway, it was fun. Check it out. Exposition Street is our, our film cast. If you never checked, if you never watched it, yeah, listen, never watched it. Never watched it. I understand. There's only a few episodes out there on Twitch. If you've ever, never listened to it, what we do is we take a different movie every week ish and uh, talk about the movie, kind of break it down, discuss what we like about it, what we don't like about it, how it holds up. Um, you just kind of throw it around a little bit. Some episodes get technical, some don't. Either way, I feel like it's pretty accessible and it's a fun crew. We have a lot of fun doing it. It's I a four of us show a kid. Lot. It's good. It's good. I've watched a lot of new movies. <laughs> <laughs> Which was part of the goal. Yeah. And it is a great way. If you watch a movie <coughs> and you go back and then watch one of our podcasts, it's a good way to engage with us and hear other people's insights into it. And then you can always respond back to us and let us know. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, we like it when people talk back to us. We're <laughs> like put that. It that way. Yeah, <laughs> just a thing. On that note, if there's anything you would like to uh, say to us, we definitely uh, invite you to become part of the conversation. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com is the easiest way to do that. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Unless you are a, a rampant Discord enthusiast, in which case the easiest way is to drop by our Discord server. Pretty easy for anybody anyway, actually. Yeah. Really? Talk at us that way. Either way, we appreciate hearing from you. The other thing that we've been doing as a group is uh, we started a new game. Yes. Indeed. Finally. We finally I mean, got yes. to play. <laughs> I mean, we've been planning the game for like, you know, a month, right? Or something. Nothing happened. I think I it's know. two, oh, even. Closer to two. It, it, yeah. It was, was, it, was it before everything kind of the extended It was before the original deadline. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we're doing a Savage Worlds game because I wanted to run a Savage Worlds game because I've been running a lot of D&D lately, and I love me some Savage Worlds. And Savage Worlds is cool! Last week, I started remembering how much I do to remember the details on certain rules about, so this week I had to do some refreshers, and it's still probably going to throw me, so... I had to dust off my Savage.us account. Yeah, there you go. Well, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty good tool. 
Um, I I like it. I like it. If did, it had a you, linked die roller, I think I'd be happier. But you know, I'll take what I get. Yeah, there's always something in there. Did you did you say it imports to Roll Twenty? It it does have a, a JSON export that you can bring into Roll Twenty. Cool. There's one of the the character sheets in Roll Twenty that you can use that import. It does a JSON import. Mm-hmm. My uh, campaign logger does a JSON import. I thought that was cool. I am a JSON import. You are a JSON import. I I keep imagining Jason walking across and taking my files from one computer to the other. It's pretty cool stuff. So, uh, I missed you, Jason. It's just, (laughs) you're there in spirit all the time. All the time. So we started a Savage Worlds game. I wanted to do something a little different, so um, I decided to Frankenstein the game a little bit, and (laughs) right right out of the gate, once we actually finally got together for a game session, and we hadn't had enough time to really build up. A lot of times when we are planning a game, I'll put a pitch together if I'm running it, and kind of let everybody know what I'm thinking, so everybody gets kind of an idea where it's going, and then provide some basic guidance on what we're doing with characters. And then leave it in everybody else's hands to determine how you're going to handle that next part, right? Because all the tools are there. You can wait until you come to the game and make characters you want to. You can do it in your own time. You know, it's you guys know how to do it. It's not, <laughs> it's nothing new, even if it's been a little while. And so I really kind of felt like that was rolling along pretty nicely. And then we hit that big ass, you know, month and long, month and a half long snag. And so by the time we actually got to it, I felt very unprepared. And it was, I had an idea, I, I made this pitch, I had an idea for this game, and if you've ever, if you've ever done this, you, I, I'm curious whether this is normal for people. When I came up with the idea, I was very excited about it. You know, I was, ex- I was excited, I had a real concept in my head, I put down, you know, three or four, five, six paragraphs of intro for you guys and posted it on a shared group, you know. And then, then you know, things didn't happen. So then two months later, when we get back to it, I don't have that same energy anymore. <laughs> I don't have that excitement about it, but we know we want to do it. We'd already made character ideas. We'd been planning on it. You know, there was no, nothing wrong with it. So I just needed to find that again. So I decided from the outset that I needed a chance to get to know your character. So I had something to fuel my inspiration, get me motivated. So we were going to sit down and work out some details about characters. I thought if you guys could, this, I was going to do this as kind of a mission style game. My, my first kind of departure for me, because I don't do a lot of that. Which in this case, the characters are resistance fighters. It's a sci-fi game. They're resistance fighters. They have specific missions that are outlined to them. We have a handler. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, and when I was going to start it, I was going to do that kind of halfway, let you guys kind of work your way toward that as if that was your choice. And then I realized that although that could be fine, it gave us no really great ground to start on because we didn't necessarily know the characters yet. And it didn't, it, there was no detraction to just starting them together and rolling with it. True, true. You know, it lets us get right into the action. Were you going to say something? Well, if we become a murder hobo group, how long before we have to kill the handler? I don't, I don't know what the protocol is for that. Uh, three, four days, I think. And then, and then, Actually, then, it sounds about right for a murder hobo. That would be out, outer edge, wouldn't it? And, th- and then you have to worry about word getting around and, you know. Yeah, self-burnt. Right. Yeah. And then you get to murder hobo all the rest of the people coming after you. Or so, be murder hoboed. So you just let my character do all the planning. We run in and hit things. <laughs> sounds like a plan. So uh, anyway, we, we, we sat down and I was like, how do I get everybody kind of working on a concept together? Let's go ahead and take a page out of the fake core rulebook. Literally. It took several pages, sir. I, I went to, I flipped <laughs> to the page for character creation in the fake core rulebook. And at first I was like, I'm just going to use this for loose ideas, right? We're just going to, okay, this is an opportunity to take the thing where you do, if you've never played fate, um, or, or even if you have, but have never done it, like, like 
the the book lays out the whole thing. Because if you play it the way the book presents it, very from the very beginning, everything about a campaign is a collaborative experience. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with the with the game master having an idea for a campaign and a world and you know all this stuff, and then it's presenting it and have people write up characters like they normally do, or even with with some part of what they do in the book. But uh, the way that it's written, you can walk in with zero idea of what you want to do as a game master. Sit down with your players and start to build it together. That's one of the cool things about about that system, I think. I have that book, and apparently I need to read it. Gotcha. Uh, well, yes. I mean, you saw a little bit of how it works. Yeah. When when you write up the characters, you sit down with note cards, and you have a thing you're going to write about your character from the outset. Now, since it's fate, you're dealing with aspects. I was planning to ignore that part. We're playing Savage Worlds. But as I was reading it out loud, I realized that there was no harm to including the aspects as a descriptor. You know, something that allowed you to process the three or four sentences of material you were writing into a simple idea. But that works. But then the impetus to make that a good idea, to make that a good line in Fate, comes from its function in the game. Because an aspect in the Fate system is powerful. You know, the way it's worded, what is contained in there, covers all manner of sins. You have the ability to utilize that in any creative way you can to tap that potential to do something cool with it. Well... Well, I mean, in, in fate, you're using a fate point system to do things. <laughs> in Savage Worlds, we have a Benny system, which lets you do things. things. Okay, to be fair, it's pretty specific what Bennies are for. Uh, but there's no harm in stretching it a little bit. Just stitching it together. <laughs> yeah, so first stitch, right? <laughs> so we go ahead and write up the characters. And in in this process, uh, you, you kind of write up like a simple backstory, some event that kind of got you started on your adventuring path, wasn't it, right? Kind of like that? Yeah. Like the story before the current story, what, what got you here? In just a few sentences or whatever. And then you pass that, you, you create an aspect from it, like um, I, I don't have any of the cards in front of you. You guys have any good examples for your characters off the top of your head? Uh, one of my aspects was right place, right time, because he's... And that was probably wasn't the phase one one no, either. No, the, the it? phase one was it's adrenaline like a core concept or whatever. I was it is. Some, something resistance goon. I don't remember what the oh, first word I was. Ended up grabbing curiosity. So you you end up creating uh, some kind of descriptor like this from the story, and then you pass that card to like the left around the table, and then the person there adds something to your story that their character was involved in. And I mean, this you don't. It doesn't have to be as direct as it sounds. Obviously, you can be as creative as you want to. To, as, as we discussed, I mean, there could be situations in which somebody has something to do with with another person's story, and neither person even knew it at the time. It was uh, a pretty cool way to integrate the characters. They add something, come up with an, and then you come up with an aspect for your character based on what you added to somebody else's story, and then pass it back the other direction. And do the same thing again. And this gives you a group of aspects and a group of like a, a kind of a nice little backstory with a lot of elements that, that tie your people together in some way through these three different events in your cases because you have three players. Imagine how convoluted that could be for a larger group. Five, six people. I mean, yeah. everybody's, everybody's only still getting two, right? So you have a lot less direct integration between everybody. But you still have a connection with other people in the group, mm-hmm. and then they have connection with other people creating that type of... Uh, kind of a daisy chain effect, yeah. Uh, um, ensemble feel. Yeah, mm, I like it. I like it a lot. I haven't ever tried it in creating a, 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 like a party for a game. I mean, the, the only games I've run in Fate have been small games. 
like two, three people. We did that one with um, Rich and I did that one with John and Nero once. You know, same sort of thing. It was just three of us. So it was really easy to come up with that stuff. But I decided let's go ahead and keep that aspect stuff kind of current and front and center so that if it turned out to be something you could use, like, you know, uh, Jason's character's uh, right place, right time, then you could use a Benny to, quote, tap the aspect like you would in Fade to create some element in the narrative at that moment that is reflective of your character. I thought it's a small group. This can only be fun. This this isn't going to take anything away. Yeah, I, I think it could get a little convoluted if you're doing a bigger group, that kind of stitching the system like that, because you have a lot of extra potential rolling around the table. Right, right. But it's easy for me as a game master to kind of handle what you guys can come up with, for the most part, and uh, make that work. So we did that. And then what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, it, again, it's only three of you, and I'm running a mission-style game, which already has a Shadowrun vibe to it because it's got that it really does. kind of yeah. setup to it, right? It's, it's kind of a, a heist-type build in anything you're doing. You have an objective. Here's what you know. You'll have to figure out what you don't know. You have to come up with the tools. But I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to give them more toys, more fun things to do it with. Because with a small group, the more versatility you have, the more creative you can be. And, you, you know, you only have each other to rely on. So, <coughs> right. Why not, right? And I, I spend a lot of time thinking, how does Eric want us to do this so I could do it a different way? We did. We found it. <laughs> I have not. That is the one thing <laughs> I, I will be honest about in this, this setup. And part of it is because I don't, I, I've never run this style of game really before. At least, at least not intentionally. I've run scenarios that have that kind of feel, that mission-oriented kind of feel in games before, in campaigns. But I've never started a campaign with a, we're going to do a mission. It's going to be followed by another mission. It's going to be followed by another mission. You know, I've, I've never really planned something like that. So I don't necessarily have an expectation. And It's better that way. And what's important about that is that failure does not ruin the game. Right. If you do not accomplish the objectives, it has consequences, but it doesn't mean that, you know, everything's done, you're out, you know, the game's over, anything like that. consequences tend to make the game more interesting. And it's not like a video game in that way, where often if you don't accomplish this thing, you have to try again, 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 until you get past it, because otherwise you can't go to the next thing. It's okay, the last time that I ran a Shadowrun scenario, the the mission, the characters set off an alarm and then stood there with the alarm going off for 10 minutes until the guards came out and killed them because they were standing around after setting off an alarm. So uh, Vanessa's um, oh so clever parties aside, I, I they weren't smart. I, I, I've, I've largely avoided games like Shadowrun over the years, lar- generally because I'm not interested in that style of play. So it's an experiment for me. But I think it's going to be a good one. I think it'll be fun. Um, and, and since i got a small group, and you guys are all people I, I know and I'm comfortable working with, if I start to run into trouble, I know that I can talk it out with you, and we can collectively figure out what the best way to resolve the story is. Right. Oh, I feel special. You should. So the next thing was... I wanted to be able to give you guys mission tech because it's fun, right? I'm like, okay, uh-huh. so I've only got three people, and they've got to accomplish this. Let's do toys. Cue so, the cue. So first, my first thought is the James Bond style <laughs> mission tech, right? So, you know, it, it wasn't like every time Bond went into a mission, they gave him exactly the thing he needed to accomplish the mission. Most of the toys he was given were things that he found a way to use creatively during the story, but they weren't like the key to unlock a door, so to speak, you know? I did want to kind of keep that feel. 
I, I, I realize that there are things, there are situations where you'll be given a piece of tech, and I'm sure this happens sometimes in the Bond stories. I don't, I can't think of it right off. That is specific to the goal you're supposed to be accomplishing. You know, you're going to be given the, um, yeah, I liked watching like um, in Alias, she was always given mission tech that was uh, like, here's the drive that you have to get next to the other thing in order for it to copy the information, that sort of thing. Obviously, right. But there would often be other toys as well, you know. Oh, you know. By the way, here's this lipstick you could do this thing with too. Yeah. So I mean, it's. it's I, I want a little more of that feel. I think. So I was like, I, I need to give you guys toys, and I like the idea of limiting these to like single use items because it means that you you utilize it, but are forced to come up with creative ways to do other things. You know. So you pick your moment, and you you bring out the 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 gadget or whatever. You do the thing, and then you move on. And when I saw you guys planning last week, it was fun to kind of watch you guys mull over. Well, we got an item that does this thing. We could use it here, and then do this. Oh, no, wait a minute. We could use it here and do this. Oh, wait a minute. What if we save it for this part here? And that one wasn't a particularly difficult uh, scenario. So once, I mean, it had its challenges, but it was pretty straightforward. So right. it wasn't like you were going to be screwed out of it. You know, a lot of times no plan in, in gaming, no plan survives contact with the enemy. You don't actually want that in a heist scenario. No. You want the heist to have potential to be pretty predictable. And what you're dealing with are the things that pull away from that predictability, that create danger, uh, the possibility of losing out something or failing on the scenario. Right. And I still like the cipher style of the gadgets where they have basically it's because it's an alien tech doing an alien tech thing in our hands. And these are the aliens we don't like to begin with. It only works once. <laughs> well, and I decided that some of it would be your, like it. your people's tech. I just why not follow the same pattern? But it's only got yeah, yeah. it's, it's got enough for juice some in it for single use thing. And I I like that, and I also like things like I'm gonna in the next one I've got some explosive things planned, you know, like like detonators, you know, well, yeah. And it lets that, us do wildly wildly exciting things without us running around through the world with some sort of powerful item. You got to figure out how to get rid of us. Well, and then I didn't want you to be afraid to use them up. Right. That, which is what, when uh, when uh, Bonnie Cook puts Duminaire together, was like, I want to make sure and put items that have powers and abilities in people's hands, but I don't want them to, like, hoard them since well, there's no fun in it if they don't use them. And that's why the game's set up so you constantly pick up new items, and thanks to something like radiation, maybe radiation, who knows? Who knows? It's, it's ancient tech, who limits, knows? Limits, limits. But yeah. because of limits, you can only carry so many of them or else you're risking your health. That's so, what I was thinking I remembered was some sort of limit on. You can only carry, like, three or something like that. Yeah. yeah. In, in the most of the Cypher System games, most characters can only carry two at a time. And if you find something you like better than something you got, you can, you know, I toss something. Here, I this one goes over was, my shoulder. This one. Uh, doing the Numenera, she had the extra one because she played with the... Uh, might have the uh, the 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 nano. I think class. yeah, the nano class. That's I it. I don't remember. That was a long time ago. I've slept since then a well, few times. I liked that idea, but I don't want the uh, gamey sort of explanation for it. Right. So in this case, I gave you guys stuff that you had picked up, and I may do that again. Just kind of represents the kind of stuff you get your hands on as just part of your regular between emission stuff. But rather than being in Cypher system, the rule is that you're always going to be finding Cypher's laying around in the game somewhere, the, yeah. the devices, you know, items. So because like, it's a world where just all this stuff is left over from previous civilizations, there's all this tech out there just laying around that people don't understand. So you could come across anything at any time, whatever, you know, since you can only have a couple at a time. I'm not going to limit you on you guys what you can carry, right. but I'm going to get them out as mission tech 
So you know when you're getting new stuff. But in this world, it's where that type of stuff's not common. But the resistance, as a movement, has spent a lot of time collecting these types of things, and they will dole them out to or, mission assignees. Or developing them. So that they can actually do the missions. But yeah, there's limits to what they can and can't do. And who knows, maybe next time we'll get an item that... They'll be like, well, we know it does this, but we don't know everything it does. Good luck. So the fun part of that is, though, being able to do the device stuff. So I've got a, t- a touch of Cypher system in it now, too. Another stitch, you know. <laughs> so our Cypher, Shadow Runny, Fate, Savage Worlds game, uh, off to a good start. I do love my coat it of was. many colors. I really enjoyed it a lot. Coat of many colors, anything. <laughs> And we're going to do another one tomorrow. Yes. And so since I was, since we have these kind of longer sessions available to us, right now anyway, because we're getting together early and stuff, I've, I'm trying to plan for that possibility that you guys will move through stuff and put like <laughs> everything together up front. And so this week I've been trying to plan that and then kind of plot and maneuver and be mm-hmm. prepared. Um, but I think you guys will like the mission. It's not as quite as simple, direct, and you know quickly over as the last one. <laughs> We had to work hard to make it quickly over. I was about to say, there was a we lot of planning. I was say, we, 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 we planned the hell out of that one to make it to where it was quickly over. Well, the next one, since it's going to be a little more convoluted, you'll be given a lot more instruction up front. There's some things that will still be up to you guys because cool. I think that makes it fun. But I, I think the mission parameters, if you want to want to give it more um, crunch, you know, more to, to latch onto, get more out of the scenario. There, there has to be more instruction to hand out to, to put it in the hands. Of, at least if you want to be able to control the, the pacing at all. Otherwise, you end up with a whole lot of waiting on players to decide what they're going to do. And maybe they do something useful and you respond to it as the game master. and Blah, blah, blah. Welcome to Shadowrun. <laughs> Which, I mean, you could do. Like, you know, okay, so the objective in this scenario is to deactivate that toaster in the, uh, you know, in, in, in Orange Sector's uh, commissary. Just so happens that you don't currently know where the commissary in Orange Sector is, what kind of toasters they use, how you would have to go about deactivating them, how you're going to get in, whether, you know, I mean, if it's if it's all completely up to you guys, it's not that you guys can't do it. It's that, <laughs> you know, I kind of got to wait on you guys to decide how you're going to do it. Where if I approach it with, okay, so there's a toaster in a commissary in Orange Sector that needs to be deactivated. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give you the credentials to get in and give you a map of the place. And then we're going to let you know, here's the device that will allow you to deactivate the toaster. You know, put a lot more of the tools in your hands to get there, even if you have to decide how to handle them when you do. Like the last scenario where you were breaking into a building, I just gave you the building, basically, and said, okay, what are you guys going to do? Here's where the thing is in the building, you know. You guys did a run-through first. I like that part. I think a good heist scenario has an intel gathering component when, when it's appropriate. You know, you did a run into the building during the day, check it out, see what's going on, see what kind of security they have, get an eye, you know, an eye on the area around the objective, and then uh, try to use that information, try to use that information <laughs> later. And even then, you guys were talking about two or three different plans that had almost nothing in common with each other. And uh, it would have been like, well, okay, so am I prepping where they're going to go three different directions and... One's going to be in the basement doing this thing, and one's going to be on that floor, and one's going to be on the road. One's going to be... Wait a minute. That's more than three. I I just was <laughs> And we have curious. no radios. Yeah, yeah. And there's no comp. Yeah, that was what killed that plan. No radios. Well, medieval not, uh, radios. That means the guards can hear everything we're communicating. Hey! <laughs> not a tech you guys currently have, but <laughs> if you want, we could talk about that. 
And that's one of the things I think was is of interest to me in terms of creating uh, a sort of an economic system that your characters have any kind of stake in. Because in Shadowrun, Vanessa, why do Shadowrunners do their job? To get money. Right. You guys are resistance fighters. You have a purpose, a goal, an overarching goal that isn't going to be label, you know, custom made to pay out necessarily in dividends, right? Because what you're getting is you're accomplishing a goal that's going to be input. In, in the Hunger Games, the guys from <laughs> District 13 were not sitting there going, you know, uh, well, if we could get Katniss into the inner city, we'll get $2,000 out of that. And, you know, I mean, there was no, there was no payoff. I love that parallel. There, there, well, I mean, it's good though, right? I mean, yeah. When, yeah. You, when you believe in Absolutely. something, when you're focused on a, a purpose, a, you know, an objective, you're, the crew that you guys work for has a very clear vision of what their objective is. The uh, truth is, if we don't pr- provide some sort of economic um, buoyancy for your characters, then that aspect of the game would have to be completely provided from the interior which I feel takes away from your agency in designing your character's abilities a little bit. You know, when you came up with the idea of the masks, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't, I, as, as a game master, it's not my job to say, no, what a fucking stupid idea. You know, my job was to say, okay, that is a possibility. Let's discuss how that's a possibility, you know? And then you look at me and say, well, when we started a Bruder Road of our Savage Worlds characters, the system gives us five, 500 Lardals. And we used those Lardals to do the things that we did as we're setting up our characters. So if you don't have the money left, let's say it is, uh, you know, Galador credits in this one. If you don't have it left, what are you going to use to buy more stuff? Daddy's money. And if it always has to come from somewhere else, then you don't really, you're not really earning it. Uh, your character, you, you meant that, didn't you? Your daddy your would start to <laughs> notice we were buying weird things like masks. What's this? Why do I have a receipt for a tank? <laughs> and why was there a tank used in a rebel mission downtown last night? Completely unconnected, Dad. Do I look like a guy that would drive a tank? That was her. <laughs> oh, God, I don't want her driving anything. That's fair. I did put skills in driving, just saying. Ooh. It's only a D4, but it means it's better She's than zero. Drive that Doesn't that right mean right oxen? Yep, yep. <laughs> driving Upstairs. oxen's not the same as driving a tank. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to Will and Richard with their <laughs> Halo games. You know, <laughs> Richard's driving a warthog on a suspension bridge that can't even fit a freaking warthog. That's um, a terrifying thought. Oh my god, he could get vehicles in these. I don't. Know, I do not know how much patience and willpower it took. But everybody else would be doing their other things, running around the ramp. And sure enough, you would come across some high place in a tower somewhere where it's not possible, and suddenly there's a freaking vehicle coming up the stairs. Yeah, I just didn't bother with vehicles when I played Halo. Didn't bother. Just, I'll, I'll run to wherever I'm trying I to get to. Either. It's I fine. just got ran over a lot somehow. Ditto. Tanks for nothing. So, there you have it. I want to talk about the disparity of the wealth systems in games real quick. Because yeah, yeah. it obviously depends a lot on what kind of game you're running. And this this is more than fair. It is perfectly plausible to play a game even like, like the one we're playing without ever paying attention to that stuff. We could decide that since there's no Mr. Johnson in this here Shadowrun, there's no money to be made. If there's no money to be made, then the money needs to not freaking matter. You know, not unless you want to track what kind of living they're making with their day jobs while they're doing their runs at night. 
So it's not an indictment of that by any stretch. Um, and we have, if you're running like a, a fantasy game, we all know like in D&D, gear is tracked to the nth degree. Yes. Right? Whatever you have with you, have with you. That's because in a fantasy world, uh, it'd be the same with like a, a post-apocalyptic world, a survival game of any kind. Um, in these kinds of settings, these kinds of games, what you have matters. How yes. much of it you have matters. Probably more so in like survival games than even in, in fantasy. But. Oh yeah, I've run a few zombie apocalypse and a few apocalyptic settings. What you have matters, and if it's not on your sheet, you don't have it. But when you were the, the game you're working on, Rich, you were using like a wealth system of some sort. I like did a score. use wealth die, and I'm already sitting here thinking about reworking it. How if you spend down your wealth die and you have a job that earns above that point. How long is your wealth die reduced because you bought a huge bot before the job brings it back up? And I'm like trying to come up with a system for the job. If it, if you're below the wealth die of the job you're currently working, you can pop it back up eventually. Well, I remember the first time I remember seeing that kind of system was in D20 Modern. In yeah, 2000s. that's where I first ran into it. Too. And I, I do remember that. They would give you a rating and anything like at that rating or below or something like that you could – or anything below that rating you had – the ability to get without even having to make any checks. Right, because you had the money for it. Right. Um, but if you made purchases above that, you had to make rolls to see if you could do it. If you could do it, then it affected your wealth rating Right. when you did. So when you take out a large loan to get something you wouldn't normally be able to just go out and buy, it brings your credit rating down, for example. Makes sense. And you're paying off the loan, so you have less money to buy spend other stuff. Welcome to my life. It's just an abstract way to track the very same <laughs> fucked up system that already influences our everyday life so in some fashion. You can't buy Starbucks every day, but you can still make your own coffee at home in the morning. I would rather make my own coffee. Starbucks ain't great. But that's my opinion. That's fair. But uh, Starbucks is also expensive enough that it was a fair analogy, I think. So. It was a fair analogy. <laughs> Starbucks is too expensive for me to like. We'll go with that. That's fair. <laughs> I... I really like that kind of system. I like abstractions because they they allow you to um, account for things that otherwise you might not have thought of that without having matter. to do an accounting of every penny in and out of your character, which really matters in a consumer driven world, right? Especially yes. if you have a regular paycheck. You know, there is no circumstance under which I want to have to track whether or not the PCs can afford McDonald's, you know, or make them subtract a certain amount of money to get it. Who cares? That is the kind of shit we have to deal with, especially us extraordinarily wealthy people that we are have to deal with on a regular basis anyway. Checking the checkbook to see if you got enough money. Checkbook is such an anachronistic thing to say in this day and age. Checking the bank balance online or on your app to see if you can afford this. You know, I don't necessarily think that it's uh, a system that fits everything, obviously. I like that certain games, certain genres, the details matter because what you have makes a difference and it's not a consumer-driven world where you just you are constantly adding things in and out of your inventory and in and out of your life. Also, I like the idea that in a wealth system, you can have a mechanic by which things people could have things that have never come up before that they already have in their possession just because it makes sense. And if it's an expensive thing, then there's still a role for it to determine whether or not they had, you know, it's the difference between whether or not I had a clunker of a car or a nice expensive motorcycle. Right. Or the difference between whether, you know, it's like people, you may not think to write cell phone on your character sheet, but who doesn't have a fucking cell phone? You know, not saying that no, not saying that, 
That sounds really pretentious when I said it, but you guys know what I mean. But most people that don't have one, it's because they don't want one. Most of the time, yeah. And then sometimes it's because they don't have the funds. And sometimes there's, I think there's an interesting middle ground, uh, just as a psych person, uh, between where there's a group of people that feel like they, they really could afford it, but feel like they can't. Either because they don't know the real costs involved and simply assume something, or because they know that it creates a regular cost and don't want to deal with one, you know, or just have always gotten by without, so it's just not a big deal. We have friends who have one cell phone in their home, no longer have a landline, that's all they got in their entire family. And when the one guy goes to work, he either, he either takes the phone so he has it to drive the you know, 20, 20, 30 miles that it takes him to get there, or he leaves it at home so they have a phone. And even if there was an emergency, it's not like he could call them. <laughs> you know, it is a thing. But that's that works for them. It's serviceable for them. They don't assume that there's a better way. They just like, this works. It may not be ideal, but why put ourselves through any more? If we can make this work, why create a different complication? Right. And I think that you could say the same thing about an abstract wealth system. Why push it? Why try to do something with it you don't have, you know, with your inventory, your equipment, your wealth, your personal economy that you don't have to. Now, take that to the next level in games where you have to deal with accommodations. Um, I'm traveling. I've got to, let's assume you live in a world, in a sci-fi game, for example, a lot of times where you have some sort of credits or monetary system to use a tram, to you know, go into to go into certain kinds of buildings, to you know, stay at a any kind of housing. To I mean, all these things that you need that credit for, that chip for. You know, particularly if you're running a game that has a that has had a consumer driven economy at the very least. And so, people at the top, there's a huge wealth disparity. So, people at the top repress everybody else by charging them for every little goddamn thing. You know, then that's that's not an uncommon. I'm getting idea. Black Mirror flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Not the worst thing ever. <laughs> so I, I like that. I in the, in the game we're running right now, that's not necessarily appropriate either. And I, I kind of played with that for a minute. It's like, do I give them some kind of wealth system to kind of cover abstract needs? Uh, do I have them track specifics of what they carry? I don't really want to. But you're also not a terribly technologically advanced people, but your people are living in a world with people who are very technologically advanced. Right, and it's this thing where our wealth now is measured by these credits coming from an outside source, the very outside source we're fighting but if we were to try to use the old ways of money, you know, minted coins or things of value and barter, people will look at us and go, are you trying to destroy society? Well, and you guys, you're there, there's a spaceport. You have, um, you, you have them living on your land and integrating with a lot of your society, especially around the spaceport. The currency isn't really relevant to your society. You know, your Typically, your your money lenders are not going to be interested in imperial, imperial credits or whatever. Oh, right? okay. But that doesn't mean that they're not useful to them. They're just only really useful to them in purchasing things from imperial resources. And in that case, they're very useful. So in the city that you're in, which is right next oh, to the spaceport. So money changers, okay. Right. In, in, the, in, the, uh, in the city that you live in, which is right next to the spaceport, they could be a very valuable resource for lenders, for banks, for anybody that deals, for merchants, anybody that deals in that, that has a reason to interact with the Galador for their resources. 
But then there's the fact that you guys are part of a resistance movement that's trying to oust them entirely. And you're dealing with an underground, a criminal empire. Now we have an advanced technology in the hands of this empire that's come down, which includes, I decided, because it's fun, their money system. So this is advanced enough, for example, that credits, if they're attributed, can be tracked. So now if you use imperial credits for black market resources, the the authorities could find out. It's like, you know, it's like holding up a little sign and saying, hey, I'm over here. It's possible <laughs> that if you move fast enough, it won't be a problem. But a lot, consequentially, a lot of underworld business, black marketeers, for example, aren't going to be interested oh, in that wow, kind of trade. Okay. But, you know, but by the same token, they're dealing in a lot of contraband tech. Yeah. But so you still end up in that weird situation where not using the new credits is almost a sign of resisting right. the aliens. But we don't necessarily need to use it when we're not dealing with the aliens. And so it's this weird so it's, fuzzy so point it's in like, society. So it's like, uh, yeah, two, two divisive systems to work with, right? What difference does it make if we're tracking it? If you're not doing anything illegal, you don't have anything to worry about. But some of the devices and contraband, or some of the devices that you guys will want are contraband. Right. So that I'm will just, be tracked, right. He's just throwing that out there. Right. I'm right. just throwing that out there. Uh, so, so then there's the fact that I could arrange to provide you credits as part of your reward package from successful mission completion. I don't think that's outside of their realm. I don't know. But because uh, it's a resource they have and you guys need to be able to focus on preparing for your next mission, for example. So, but those are only really going to be useful for certain things. Right. I mean, know? we basically would have to track two different money systems in a way. Right. And anytime we need to change between the two... That so, conversion rate's going to change, and possibly we're going to be dealing with the only person in the area that does exchanging, and they're going to give us an outrageous rate. So I Stop think giving him ideas. What I'm going to do <laughs> is if you guys are dealing with tech that you want to be able to buy above board, you will have the credits to be able to do that. But I'm going to provide you numbers, money, that you will decide how you want to use. And it's fine if you stockpile that, whatever. The, um, the adverse of that is if you guys want things that are more inherent to your world, to your more pre-industrial society. Um, we'll look at how that's represented in the system, but I think because there's a dollar amount they use for like everything to just kind of equalize it in savage worlds, we're going to find that tech is always going to be super more expensive anyway than like daggers and stones. So I think that we could use that disparity to determine what things would cost the True. other way. And that way we could just abstract that system between the two and be okay. We may run into things where we have to make a judgment call. Of course, if we ever go back to Vanessa's character's hometown, credits would be worthless. Yes. So the inverse of that is that if you want to do anything that you otherwise would not be able to accomplish above board, we have to create a system that works for the underworld. So the, here's the, the best thing I came up with that I kind of like is a system of favors. You know, kind of like you use markers to make purchases rather than credits. You know, uh, you can barter things that you have that may be of value. So you can, you know, quote unquote, trade your tech for other tech. Or you could do things, you know, complete small missions, side missions and such, uh, or um, utilize your skills to do something that they, that they, you know, that keeps you from being able to do other things you're doing. A lot of it could be flavor. It just kind of depends how you want to run. Right. But it's a less hard-coded system at that point. What are you giggling about, man? The rich kid is also the most charismatic. So even in a barter system, he has the most wealth. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Are you, are you kind of a face character? Couldn't, I couldn't remember. Um, 
Aren't you also arrogant? Yes. Yeah. That'll be a fun combination. Yeah, Heck yeah, he is. <laughs> I know I'm the best. I was I was coming headfirst against that uh, question. It's, it's funny because I don't run a lot of um, traditional types of traditional types of dungeony games and stuff in D and D, right? But I am right now. So I have uh, this scenario going on where you guys get to the end of a dungeon and are getting ready for the next one. I'm like, I better give you guys some downtime. Makes sense, you know. See if there's anything you want to do with that. For you know, to make things easy for us, they've provided a couple rules that really apply in these situations. They reply. They've they've uh, in fifth edition D and D they have a in fifth edition D and D they have a uh, lifestyle mechanics so that can kind of determine the general cost of your reg- uh, maintaining your lifestyle on a daily basis, and then they have uh, downtime mechanics where you can do various things. You know, working a job, carousing, crafting items. You know, studying, training, researching, all these different things that you could be doing with your character in between that could have a a monetary cost. It could have a cost that sunk in time or um, energy or effort um, or exchange of services. You know, any number of things that you could do to kind of play that as as much you wanted to as a game master and as a player. Uh, You guys didn't end up doing much with it, but it raised the question because this always comes up to me. Uh, Nero was kind of tripping over how much money you guys had in your possession at the end of this first third level dungeon. You walk out of here with a, a ton of loot. I don't think it was a ton of loot in terms of what the game is used to thinking. I just think that since loot hasn't isn't a huge deal in a lot of the games that I run, incidentally, I mean, it sometimes is, but not typically, that it feels like a lot. But there's also the question of what do you do with it? If you don't engage in downtime activities that require money, then the only other thing to do with it typically is to buy things or hoard it. Now, I'm sure at some level, individual characters have their own motives. Well, at third level, Vanessa's character should probably have like eight, nine healing potions. <laughs> I was thinking Phoenix Downs. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you have to, you have to think proactively. You know, if you, if your character is out there dungeoning away, hob- murder hoboing your way through a dungeon, and you are acquiring loot, what's it for? Right. Other than other than playing pretty songs. What's it for? You know, there's a reason why I wasn't picking up anything because you don't care. Exactly. My character doesn't care. Now, your character didn't turn down a portion of the loot, I assume. No, I'm not going to turn down the money, but I don't want to carry around stuff. Instead, you're going to end up carrying around money. Sure. Okay. Is that good for you? I don't know if it's actually going to matter much. After all, I am third level. Turned into. (laughs) <laughs> Turn it into pretty trinkets wow. and healing potions. For the un- uninitiated, the, the one of the, the last campaign I ran of any breadth with, uh, well, not the last one, I guess the one before, but uh, the one where J- Vanessa really got involved with gaming with us uh, and we got online for the pandemic and everything. Every three levels your character died. It was just horrendous. Yeah. She got a new character at third. She got a new character at six. So, so the the question of economy came up, and then there was like, okay, so if you are going to buy things with money or do things with money, what kind of options are available in any given uh, geographic region or community or you know what have you? Which again is part of the game. You know, I I've never been somebody who feels like there should be shops full of random magic items that people would be able to buy. I don't like that level of making magic so common in a world that it's it loses its magic. You know. Uh, it doesn't mean that you won't occasionally come across a pawn shop that has a few items, but it won't be, gosh, I really need a plus two short sword. Let's go down to the local sh- short sword emporium and see if they have one. Yeah, I just I just don't want that. But that that is, of course, you know, in, even encouraged further by the fact that there are no prices for magic items in the main books, and that's why. 
It's because it's not an assumption that that's what you're going to want to do. Previous editions of the game really broke it down to pricing, and you were encouraged to spend your money that way, which is one of the reasons you got tons of loot. Because in those in those systems, I'm looking at you, third edition. Yeah. In those systems, your equipment was part of the balance of the game. Yeah, it was. I have so much magic stuff in my 3.5 campaign. So if you didn't have it, you weren't able to deal with the challenges. Yeah, you I would be to, dead. You know, and, and that's not the case in 5th. I mean, you die anyway because you're Vanessa. But yeah. the, the in 5th in edition, they very much, since the math is flatter, they, the bounded accuracy thing, they don't really have a whole lot of that. Equipment is not necessary. To, and consequentially, magic items are scarcer. And not, I mean, and, and more potent magic items are extremely scarcer. You know? But more interesting. I hope so. And that, that's the goal, I think. Uh, a lot of converts um, probably struggle with it. And there's, so that's why there's a lot of people that play 3X and Pathfinder that go back to 3X and Pathfinder. Because it's a game where you feel like you have a ton more choices, a ton more ability, a lot more cool powers, and a lot more money. I like magic both shit. of them. 3-5 has its own charms. 5E has its own charms. I get it. That's fine. So, you know, just an example of how economy makes a huge difference even in, 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 a, in D&D as a standard play yeah. through, I guess. I don't know. I was going to put it to you guys and see what you guys did. Now I'm curious because uh, I'm actually starting in a, a game this week with a group. I'm, I'm playing with some of the guys from 1D Forecast. Oh, yeah. Um, the, 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 and we're playing a Cortex, Cortex Prime game. And I'm like, just suddenly realized, I'm like, I have no idea what the economy of money is. Which would obviously in that game depend on what you, it's, it's another I mean, we're space game. pirates, so. Yeah. Oh, well, presumably it would matter then. Loot would matter if you're pirates. Of any or acquiring. I don't know whatever. if you're space pirates. Do different planets have different currencies? It could go a lot of directions. I don't know how many other planets we're going to deal with. I haven't even gotten that far into it. I should, probably should have been paying attention during note-taking. <laughs> Sorry, James. in class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he won't hear this until after your first session, so you're good. You'll know. You'll know better by then. So that's what went wrong that Saturday night so long ago. <laughs> that's fair. Um, anyway, I just was kind of wanting to kind of hash that a little bit and see if there's any thoughts you guys had, uh, anything you've seen done differently in games that I haven't already talked about. That uh, <laughs> Jason was shaking. Of course not. Yeah, it's like, it's, I know what games you've been playing, right? I've not campaigned in anything but you. The only other things I've played with are one-shots, and there's not a lot of worry about currency in one-shots. Typically. No, not really even a not. Bit. You start out with what you need, and you amass stuff at the end, but what do you spend it on? Well, in some games, like, um, I look at Fate, for example. Usually with gear and Fate, you just kind of note down whatever you think your character has. Then there's games like um, Gumshoe, where you, I think you're encouraged to have a list but there's a skill that represents, you know, like a preparedness skill that represents the idea that you would have thought, maybe you don't even have a list. It's just kind of you can have anything that assumes it makes sense. I don't know. That represents the chances of having a thing that might, you know, you might not have thought of bringing yeah. up prior, you know. I like that. That's neat. What is it? It's an investigative game. We so played why not, that. Right? Yeah. One game, um, it's kind of Star Wars adjacent. Was it? It's a, the one with the clocks. Oh, the, the Scum, and Scum and Villainy. Scum and Villainy. You know, one of those Blades yes. of the Dark. And it was um, it was one of those that had a a time it had a an option where you had a list of things, 
and you had so many slots. And as you went through the mission, I if you that. needed an item from your list, it filled up one of those slots because you would have thought ahead of time to have brought right. that item. Like that. Um, and if you run out of slots, you can't pick up more items. So you kind of got to, you still have to be judicious about what you can bring with you. But you don't have to decide ahead of time and pick up all three items that never come up because of the way the mission went. Right, right, right. And then different things had different slot values and stuff like that. I liked that. That It was was an interesting system, too. And then some things that you would want that ate up kind of like your limited inventory of of really important items. I I would have enjoyed more time getting to know that system. Um, I, I now that you mentioned that, but it that, felt complicated. I don't know if I could run it. Cipher has a, a kind of a slot system where it determines. Yeah, you, know, you have like certain kind of general values, like things you have expensive items, moderately expensive items, cheap items, whatever. They they have different like three oh. three different value levels, quote unquote. And your character only has access typically when you start. You have like two items from this category, four items from this category. Okay. No, but, I was in Numenera where but items a are a little more rare because you're pretty much running around a wasteland. So whatever you carry is what you have. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I think when I ran The Strange, I don't think it really came much. I'm, I'm talking about the Cypher System rulebook. So it's like, um, yeah. it's kind of their generic system. I've looked system. at it, but I haven't. It's fascinating. I, I ran The Strange for a small, short campaign. It's on our AP feed. I, I can't remember how they handled it in there, but... By and large, it didn't really affect a lot. People had what made sense, and that may be the way I just ran it. You know, because I am fine with people having what makes sense in a game that's in yeah. the modern world. You know, reasonable works. Yeah. I like the word reasonable when it comes to gear. Most of the things that I've run for any length, what you have matters. I also like it for <laughs> encumbrance because I don't like nitpicking, counting every single pound I have on me. Right, yeah, that makes sense. That is one thing Shadowrun doesn't do. It doesn't generally care about how much pounds you had. Because that you've got Bioware and Cyberware and all sorts of stuff. Because you could easily have things that expand your ability to handle. Oh, yeah. And manage you could have mechanical and... legs that can make you run faster and pick up more and all sorts of things. Yay. Or mechanical arms. Or who knows, maybe you've just replaced your head with cyber eyes and all sorts of stuff. Well, if you have thoughts on any of this or have encountered any uh, any systems or um, approaches, you know, or come up with any that we haven't talked about, I'd uh, love to hear about it. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. About the- there, there is a system that uses a digital type of currency. Um, it's it's on asomtees.shop. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of interesting. You, you pretty much put in digital currency and, and it spits tea out at you. But that's all those fuckers sell is tea and stuff related to tea. I know, but it's oh, really good tea. About them. <laughs> it is good tea. <laughs> That's fair. Well, you heard it from him. I, I, I have no boat. I, I have no, uh, no uh, dog in this race. No, that's not right. Uh, I think I, your dog is straight in the middle of that race. Yeah, sir. I think so. <laughs> dog in this fight, horse in this race. Whatever. Horse in this fight was funnier. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, gonna go ahead and let everybody go. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for joining us for episode number two hundred fifty-five of Metagamers Anonymous. Getting on out of here for tonight. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm Vanessa. Good night, everybody. Bye.